Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Your daily encouragement that God has the world in the hollow of his hand. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If you missed the conversation that we just had with Pastor Dan from the Lutheran Church that is literally ground zero in Brooklyn Center, let me encourage you to go to MyFaithRadio.com and grab grab the podcast from the first hour or go to the Faith Radio app where you can do the same. Um, It's one of those uh, don't miss conversations. So uh, I don't want you to miss it. Okay, so a lot of folks asking the question um, in face of really a rising tide of violence uh, in cities across the country. Um, And so here I would highlight for you um, not only articles like this one from CBS News, um, which leads with uh, cities, including the Twin Cities, bracing for violence when the jury renders the verdict in the trial of former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin, for his role in the death of George Floyd, there is a rising violence not connected to uh, not connected to this, but there is a rising tide of violence in in Pittsburgh, where they are dealing with what they describe as a surge in homicides. Uh, Portland, Oregon, uh, has widespread violence that erupted into what are categorized as riots two nights ago. Chicago um, is dealing day after day after day. Um, with with shootings. And um, the headline today in the Chicago Sun-Times is Mayor Lightfoot tees off on the criminal justice system after another violent weekend, after another bloody Chicago weekend that saw a seven-year-old gunned down in the drive-through um, of a McDonald's. The mayor said that police superintendent uh, David Brown is doing the best he can under impossible circumstances. Well, you know, here's the challenge, right? We talk we we talk about the need for police and then we, you know, are we actually supporting them sufficiently? What does that look like? How do we, you know, how do we balance the the desire for community policing with the need for real law enforcement and a rising tide of violent crimes uh across the country? So, we have talked about uh, our need to actively engage at the local level. Uh, in terms of our own political system. What we have not talked about and need to and must uh, is prayer, is prayer. And I I think that there are times that when, you know, we say, you know, oh oh my goodness, I'll be praying for you about that. I'll be praying with you in that, in the midst of that. Um, There are those who roll their eyes and suggest that what we are offering to do is nothing. And let me just confirm again that prayer is not nothing. Prayer is not nothing. So in addition to whatever else we do, let us pray. Because prayer brings the very power of God to bear on a situation. It's not, um, you know, like a a meditative practice that's designed to be just a religious ritual, right? 
it is intended to call down the very power of God upon and into as an active influence in what's going on right now, in my heart, in my life, in my community, in this country, in the world that God so loves. Like, I acknowledge the power of God to reach into situations um, that, you know, where my hands can't reach or where I don't know quite how to reach. Prayer also opens our eyes to that which is um, not easily seen and sometimes completely unseen. Prayer also prepares us as the people of God um, to do in God's name what needs to be done, and it also prepares others to receive the help that God is sending them. So whatever else we do today, let us pray. Maybe you could prayer walk your neighborhood or prayer walk a part of your city or your community. Maybe you could pray for um, homes and businesses as you are walking or driving around today. Maybe you could create a prayer texting group. Maybe you could um, pray with, certainly for, but with your server um, when you sit down for a cup of coffee or a shared meal today. Maybe you could organize a prayer event uh, on your street, in your in your community, at your school flag. I mean, there's all kinds of places and ways that you could do this. Um, obviously, the National Day of Prayer is coming up on the first Thursday of May. And so if you would like to engage with that, we would certainly encourage and invite you to do so. All right. Heather Rice Minus is uh, is waiting to talk with us right now from Prison Fellowship. We are going to talk about the Second Chance Month. We're talking about criminal justice reform and Prison Fellowship uh, right at the heart and center of that. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Joining me now, Heather Rice Minus from Prison Fellowship. You guys recognize Prison Fellowship as the nation's largest Christian nonprofit serving prisoners, former prisoners, and their families. And we are recognizing April 2021 as Second Chance Month. Heather, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you so much for having me, Carmen. Good to be here. It's great to have you. All right. So I know that this is the fifth year, but maybe there are people who don't know what Second Chance Month is. So introduce us to it. Sure. So Second Chance Month is all about raising awareness about the 44,000 barriers, uh, things like barriers to housing, education, employment that face people who have a criminal record. And so we're trying to raise awareness about those barriers and get everyone to join in and helping us unlock second chances for people who have paid their debt and are, are just looking to have a fresh start. All right, so let's talk about a few of those. What would be some of the 44,000 documented legal restrictions, um, not to mention the social stigma, um, but what, what, are, what are a few of those that might surprise people, that just things that we wouldn't even think of because we don't live with this particular restriction or barrier? Right. So the majority of them are linked to employment or occupational licensing. Uh, sometimes people are actually taught a skill or trade in prison but then can't use it. So, so for example, we've done some work on occupational licensing reform because people in certain states will learn how to become a cosmetologist or a barber, 
Uh, but then they'll they'll get out of prison, and in that very same state, they actually can't become a cosmetologist or or barber because there's a restriction in terms of licensing for people with a criminal record. So so that's the type of thing that we're trying to um, slowly but surely pull away and and allow people to really live out their full potential. All right, I know that um, that you guys have made some traction on some of these things. Talk about um, you know maybe talk about a barrier that you see being unlocked. Um, in addition, maybe to the the licensure one, um, you know, so that people can kind of see how this happens, either in their local community, their state, or as a nation. Right. So, you know, I think one that's been talked about quite a lot, especially this past year, is, is voting rights. Uh, one of the very last uh, issues that our, our former founder, the, the late Chuck Colson, wrote about was actually how he had his voting rights restored. Uh, you know, he had a criminal record, but he had access to, to political friends, and so he was able to get his voting rights restored, and he recognized that that's not true for a lot of the one in three Americans who have a criminal record, uh, and there's really no link between public safety and someone going to vote. It's just a permanent punishment that we place on people. So that's something that's really sweeping the country. We've seen a lot of states pick up and, and uh, want to remove the barriers to voting for people with a criminal record. For folks who um, are like their eyebrows like popped up in the air when you and I uh, said that there are 44,000 documented legal restrictions um, for folks who have paid their debt to society um, in terms of serving their time, uh, mm-hmm. but now they live with all of these barriers to, you know, to actually flourishing in life. Where can they get more information about what we're talking about? They can go to prisonfellowship.org slash second chances, and, and they'll go for, find more information about Second Chance Month, as well as a, a host of opportunities to get involved, everything from our social media toolkit to hosting a Second Chance Sunday at your church. Uh, we, we've got a lot of ways that everyone can take part in Second Chance Month. So um, let's take a very brief break, Heather, and then when we come back, I want to dig into this a little bit more. April is, April 2021 is Second Chance Month. There are opportunities for you to get involved. There are some upcoming opportunities on the 28th and 29th of the month that we want to highlight for you as well. You can find all of the information at prisonfellowship.org. What you're looking for is Second Chance, easy to find on the website, prisonfellowship.org. Uh, Heather Rice Minus and I will be right back. This is, among other things, Second Chance Month. I think as Easter people, um, April is the perfect month to uh, have Second Chance Month. Prison Fellowship is really one of the major engines behind this. And so want to continue to invite you to look to their website for resources related to this, prisonfellowship.org. You're looking for Second Chance Month. Um, you can engage there with the Twitter chats. There's a Twitter chat on the 28th. I encourage you to do that. I, um, I, I participated on the 14th in the Twitter chat. You get to engage with criminal justice experts, pastors, policymakers, people who've been personally impacted um, and it's just a, a great opportunity to to do it. So you can follow at Justice Reform on Twitter 
and you can search hashtag Second Chance Month um, for more information on that. Heather uh, Rice Minus is here from Prison Fellowship. Heather, let's talk a little bit about, well, why don't you tell us a Second Chance story? That, that, I think that would be great. People love to hear stories. So tell us a Second Chance story. Sure, of course. You know, I'm, I'm thinking today of Matthew Charles. Uh, I, I actually worked, uh, when I was working for Prison Fellowship, a, a bill we spent many, many years on um, that eventually passed the First Step Act. Um, some of your listeners may have heard it uh, of it. It was, it was signed in late 2018, and Matthew Charles was actually one of the first people uh, to come home as a result of that, that law passing. And he he had spent a long time in prison for um, dealing crack cocaine. Um, he had actually uh, been given a Bible uh, by another man in prison, and he read it cover to cover, um, and he gave his life to Christ. And, you know, he said from that point on, things just started dramatically changing for the better in my life. And um, he just participated in tons of programming, really put in the work um, to transform his life while he was inside but he had served 16 years for, for a nonviolent crime. Um, and at one point, he was actually released, but then sent back because um, the, the uh, government said that his, his sentence couldn't be retroactive. And, and so anyway, he went back. But the First Step Act finally released him for home for good. And so he'd, he'd overcome all these obstacles. But when he got out, um, he, he, he found that no one would rent to him. On account of his criminal background, and you know, we were talking earlier, Carmen, about the barriers. Housing is a really tough one for people with a criminal record. Um, you know, whether it's public housing or private housing, um, just no one would rent to Matthew. And so, it actually took a celebrity's intervention. Um, Kim Kardashian actually had heard of his story; it had gained some prominence when he was reincarcerated um, at that one point, and. Um, so she intervened, um, called landlords on his behalf. And so that's what it took for him to access a basic life necessity. Um, and, and unfortunately, though, that kind of celebrity intervention, right, that's not readily available for the 600,000 people who return home from prison or jail every year. And that's why, you know, we all need to step forward, whether it's us as individuals, uh, churches, businesses, uh, organizations to to participate in Second Chance Month. Um, yes, during April, kind of that culminating month um, that we spend raising awareness, but also year round, um, and really extend an opportunity. I know I'm I'm grateful that I serve a God of, of second chances, uh, and we need to extend that same second chance to others who 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 have paid their debt and are really trying to start fresh. So, um, Heather, let's uh, let's pause and let's have a conversation about language. I recently read um, um, your colleague uh, James Ackerman's piece, which is at Religion News Service. It's Christians should change how they talk about people with a criminal record. I thought this um, this article was this was excellent. Um, he makes the observation that language changes culture and culture changes law. Um, and so when we talk about Christians and our witness, um, you know, in the in the culture, I just think that the recognition that one in in three adults has a criminal record in the United States, maybe just the the recognition that one in three adults has a criminal record might change the way we see our neighbors. Um, and then we want to change the way we really do want to influence the way that people talk about returning citizens. Talk with us about the power of that language right there, returning citizens. Right. So, 
I, I do believe in that. You know, language does change culture, um, and culture is really what drives the law. When we see criminal justice laws that um, you know are, are uh, overly punitive, that that's a reflection of our culture. And when we see reform happen, that's a reflection of our culture coming together um, to say we want a more restorative approach. And so, you know, when it comes to language, uh, I think that the church should be at the forefront of leading with person first language that really um, recognizes that every single person, regardless of your background, that our identity is in Christ, right? That That is first and foremost our identity. It's not the worst choice we've ever done. It's not the worst sin we've ever committed. That's not our permanent label. Um, in fact, that is entirely contrary to the Bible. And so why would I continue to call someone the label, whether it's ex-offender or um, felon uh, or whatever it may be, that continues to to use that stigma and say, you're never going to change from this. This will always be how you're known. This part of your life uh, will always be, you know, what people recognize you for. Instead, you know, we really at Prison Fellowship have made a shift to, to, to talking about people with a criminal record or the term returning citizens has picked up a little bit of steam. I think one in four Americans, we've done some polling, um, know what that means. It just refers to people who are coming home from prison or jail. So that's another, you know, more positive term that we can use. Uh, but, but really, it's not about sugarcoating. It's not about being politically correct. It's really about being biblically correct, you know, coming back to the fact that, you know, that person is made in, in God's image. They have God-given potential. And yes, they made um, a poor choice, but that choice doesn't have to define who they are for all time. And so that's why we're passionate about changing language. Yeah, I think that is a critical first. Well, maybe it's a critical second step. The first step is... <laughs> seeing other people as fellow image bearers of the living God, right? I mean, that's actually yeah. the first, because that's that heart, that's that heart step. Um, and my heart, my, my mouth is going to follow my heart. That's and right. so exactly. um, I got that, that heart and head alignment with the way God created people and the way God sees people as precious and as individual and not as defined by their greatest sin, but as, you know, totally redefined by the Savior. I don't want to be known um, you know, out loud all the time in every environment by my worst moment. Like right. nobody, nobody wants to be known that way. So um, I, you know, I am a person redeemed in Christ and I want to be known as his ambassador and an agent of his grace. And um, certainly the, the formerly incarcerated people, the, the people whom I have met who, you know, have been on the inside. One of the things that they say is, you know, I don't, I, I don't, get credit for all of the ways I changed and was changed mm -hmm. when I was in prison. Like the world changed a lot when I was, when I was in, but I don't get a lot of credit for all the ways that I changed. And I think those mm -hmm. are conversations that we absolutely have to have. And the only way that we have those yeah. is, you know, right. I, you know, eyeball to eyeball and real conversation with one another, you know, recognizing our mutual humanity and how we share this particular space and place and time um, you know, to make the most of it as God's people in the world today. So you guys are tremendously helpful at Prison Fellowship. Thank you so much for all that you are doing uh, in terms of advocacy. This is this is one of the most significant bipartisan efforts in Washington. And so if you're listening right now and you want to know what good is happening in Washington that is bipartisan, <laughs> this is it. So this is an yeah. opportunity for uh, for you to get engaged. Prison Fellowship uh, is the place where I'm going to send you to connect 
Um, and the website is prisonfellowship.org. Heather, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Carmen. Absolutely. We've got to take a break for break point. We'll be right back. All right, Oz Guinness has been um, making observations and then offering important Christian commentary on the matters of the day. Um, he's a prolific author. I would describe him as, I mean, he's hes the best diagnostician of what's going on in the culture of anybody that I know. And plus, he has a beautiful voice to listen to. He's going to join me next. We're talking about his newest book, The Magna Carta of Humanity. Um, really, this is a book about how we got to the place where we are and um, how we might yet find a future filled with hope. That conversation up next here on Mornings with Carmen. This is Max Locato. My last name has created some awkward moments. A woman said, Max Lucado, I've been wanting to meet you. I let it go, thinking that was the end of it. But as she introduced me to a number of her friends, I smiled and cringed, unable to maneuver my way into the conversation to correct her without being rude. But then I got caught. A man said to me, my wife and I have been trying to figure out how you say your name. Is it Lucado or Lucado? I looked over at my friend who had been mispronouncing my name. <laughs> I was trapped. I answered Lucado. I pronounced the name Lucado, I told her. May my ancestors forgive me. How can God be both just and kind? How can he redeem the sinner without endorsing the sin? It's called the cross of Christ. And that's one phrase you want to say correctly. is, uh, I don't know, a social critic. He's an author. He's the editor of more than 30 books. Um, Some of my favorites, um, I thought that A Free People's Suicide was not only a great book when he wrote it, but it's a relevant uh, book still today. But he's got a lot of them. Um, Time for Truth is excellent. Case for Civility. Um, uh, Last Call for Liberty was just, just great. The Dust of Death is actually a book that he published in, I think, 1973, but we just revisited it recently when it was re-released in 2020, um, talking about how the 60s counterculture changed America forever. He's back with us today with a new release, The Magna Carta of Humanity, Sinai's Revolutionary Faith and the Future of Freedom. Oz Guinness, welcome back. Thank you, Carmen. Pleasure to be with you. Well, it's a pleasure to have you today. So this is really this this conversation comes down to the ultimate choice that people uh, in the West, particularly here in the United States of America, are going to make. Will we choose Sinai or will we choose Paris? Tell people what I'm talking about. Well, everyone knows America's deeply divided. But why? The deepest division is between those who understand the country and freedom from the perspective of the American Revolution, which goes back to the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, Exodus, and those who understand it from the perspective of ideas coming down from the French Revolution. 
And the radical left, the cancel culture, the codes, all that stuff, it, it comes from another revolution. And you know how the Apostle Paul said, who's bewitched you? You're following another gospel. And I'm saying in essence to Americans, who's bewitched you? You're beginning to follow a different revolution, not the biblical or the American one, but the radical left French one. And so let's talk about that. So when we talk about Sinai and then when we talk about the United States of America, um, there's a there's a term used in here in the title of this, which, you know, I don't want to miss 805 years ago, the Magna Carta the one that we would recognize as such, was signed. You have used that as a part of the title of this book, the Magna Carta of Humanity. Um, what, what are you getting at there? Well, when King John was forced to sign the Magna Carta in 1215, it was the first great statement of the limit of power in a modern understanding of freedom. And, of course, you go back to the Bible. You see, on the one hand, the covenant in Exodus is a matter of collective responsibility, like we the people. But it's also a limit to power. There's a framework around freedom. It's not the permission to do what you like. It's the power to do what you ought. So the Bible gives you the way of the deepest, richest freedom. And there are all sorts of things that come out of that. You know, how you transmit freedom and so on. Americans are increasingly have forgotten it and moving away from it. And we're in danger of squandering freedom. That's tragic. If you look at history, the bookends are anarchy, all freedom, no order, and authoritarianism like China, all order, no freedom. And the biblical way and the original American way was an ordered freedom, and we're throwing it away carelessly. I think ordered freedom is a um, is a good segue into a conversation about sort of the, what's going on today. Um, we have a very disordered freedom, it would seem to me. We have a freedom that is very, very uh, focused on the self and self-determined, self-defined, and it it does not regard the other um, in any way, shape, or form, uh, and. To me, there is a conversation, and you get to this in, in the book, Oz, there is, there's like a showdown between the principles of the kingdom of heaven, godliness, and things that are good, and absolute sheer pure power, and, and come what may. Um, is that an oversimplification of, of where we are, or might that be a, a helpful way for me to understand it? No, you're exactly right. As postmodernism puts it, and the radical left puts it with cultural Marxism, if God is dead, then truth is dead. All that is left is power. And you can see that on some of the democratic policies, but certainly in the radical left policies, a very dangerous situation. If there's only power, the Romans put it simply, all you have at the end of the day is what they call the peace of despotism. In other words, a power that can put down all other powers, but that's authoritarianism. And you started with the rampant individualism, but the more you shift towards anarchy, the more the anarchy rebounds to authoritarianism. So America's in the throes of giving up responsible freedom, and this is an incredibly grave moment. So I want to talk with you about um, the word justice, 
We hear calls for it frequently in the culture today, mm-hmm. but not everybody means the same thing by it. Can you um, can you take that word and weave it into uh, the conversation that we're having now? No, great point. When you come to freedom, the biblical idea is unique. Only Jews and Christians, people who follow the Bible, have a high view of freedom, not the atheists, and certainly not the Greeks and the Romans and so on. But when you come to justice, almost every human being has a sense of what's unfair. You take a three-year-old, that's not fair, and so on. The differences come not over the fact we think things are unjust, but they come over how you respond. And the radical left, cultural Marxism, only responds with power. And you set up a conflict of power. As I said, it ends in the peace of despotism. But in the biblical way, you have the possibility of repentance and confession and forgiveness and reconciliation. Now, I've used those words, just the single words, unpack them. They are so relevant today, and there will be no peace for America unless we go back. The left is absolutely merciless. Anyone who's read Douglas Murray, who is a a gay and an atheist, he admits that the left has no forgiveness. And the essence of the Bible is that forgiveness gives you freedom from the past and a second future. And so we've got to unpack some of these great biblical words and themes and ideas and make them relevant, not just spiritually or individually, but for America as a whole. So I'm talking with Oz Guinness. We're talking about his newest book, The Magna Carta of Humanity, Sinai's Revolutionary Faith and the Future of Freedom. And yes, I have some copies to give away. So if you are interested in entering the drawing, for the complimentary copies we have of this brand new release from InterVarsity, text the word book to 877-933-2484. Oz and I are going to take a very brief break, and then we're going to continue this conversation in just a moment. We'll be right back. All right, I'm continuing my conversation with Oz Guinness. We're talking about the Magna Carta of Humanity. It is his latest book. It's brand new. Uh, and yeah, we got copies to give away. Uh, you can text the word book to 877-933-2484. Um, Oz, you use the word revolution uh, in reference to the Exodus revolution. Um, I would like to talk about revolution because lots of people want revolution today. They mean very different things by it. Lots of promises get made. Very few of them get delivered upon. Talk with us about how ideas or ideals become solid realities and, and, and how we need to rediscover and then do that again. Well, Carmen, if you look at revolutions, there are five major revolutions in the modern world. The English, the American, the French, the Russian, and the Chinese. Now, the first two look different, the two English ones. One failed, the English, the other succeeded. But in fact, they're very similar because both of them went back to the Bible. And as you know, in the Bible, the idea is God creates order. Humans through sin create disorder. So God works in the disorder to subvert it. He turns it upside down. So God's turning the world upside down is actually turning it the right way up. Whereas Mm. the French, the Russian, and the Chinese are all 
anti-Christian, anti-religious, anti-biblical, and they have very, very different ideas. So the same word revolution, but they end up in completely different places. You just take one thing. The biblical ideas are realistic. That's where separation of powers come. Humans sin. We abuse power. It's corrupted. So you have checks and balances, separation of powers in the American experiment. Whereas secular revolution is utopian. And whenever there's a gap between the great ideal, which is impossible, and the real, you fill it with violence. You coerce people. So you take China, where I was born. More than 75 million killed by Mao Zedong to force them to be what he wanted them to be. So secular revolutions are utopian and very, very dangerous. Always oppression, always end in disaster. Okay, so why do people seem to not understand that? I mean, well, because they're longing for justice and freedom. So the longing for justice and freedom, that's real. And that and it's real and it's deep and it's righteous. Um, Talk with us about sort of I mean, I just think that you are the best diagnostician of where we are today. You know, we look across our culture and we have all kinds of things happening that we do not like. Um, And we have a rising tide of violence, neighbor against neighbor, and certainly, you know, culture wide in terms of the deep divisions maybe chart a positive way forward, which you do in the book. So, you know, talk with people about what then do we do? Well, remember the previously divided time, 1850s, you had a Lincoln who believed Mm. in the Declaration. He believed in what he called the better angel of American nature. He addressed the slavery and called for a different way, a new birth of freedom. Sadly, of course, assassinated and then came Jim Crow and all that. So we need leaders today who believe deeper than the revolution, believe in the scriptures, but can really point us in the right direction and call the people back. I put America's situation in three words. Revolution, that's the radical left. Please, God, no. Oligarchy, that's what we're seeing, the rise of a ruling class and elitism. Please, God, no. Or the third word, Homecoming, you know, common, the biblical Hebrew word for repentance, not the Greek word, the Hebrew word, means homecoming. Sin is exile. Sin is alienation from God and reality. So America needs to come back. And here's the point. America always goes forward best by going back first. But we need a leader who will call people back to that, including Christians, because Many Christians are confused and weakened on the back foot. So, Oz, you know, I, I agree with you 100 um, percent. And I can hope for that kind of leader to, uh, to arise in the United States of America. I also recognize all of the political and media and financial hurdles to a person like that ascending um, with any kind of voice. Like, right, I think that the rise of the, what you've described as the oligarchy, um, the oligarchy is going to seek to suppress such a voice, and certainly the radical left is going to seek to suppress such a voice. To put it mildly, but remember, poor Lincoln was assassinated, and all great leaders in times of crisis face incredible challenges. So I'm, I'm thoroughly realistic. But remember, 
Few of us will be such a Lincoln-like leader, but we can all pray and speak out and make our stands at the littler and more local level at which we all live. So we should be praying. You know, I love, the, do you know Derek Prince? I do. Uh, in World War Two, you know, with the British Army in an 800-mile retreat in North Africa from Rommel and Hitler's forces, the Lord gave him this prayer. Lord, set over us a leader such that it will be for your glory to give the victory through him. And after that abysmal retreat, they eventually got to the Battle of El Alamein, and uh, Churchill had sent a new, untested young general, Alexander Montgomery, who turned the tide. And the Lord said to Derek Prince, he is the answer to your prayer. So my wife and I pray every day, Lord, set over us in America leaders, we turn it to the plural, such that it will be for your glory to give the victory through him or her. Hmm, I love that. I love that. Um, Oz, um, I know that like, I don't know, it seems like it's 11 or 12 years ago now, you participated in writing a public school curriculum um, in which, you know, kids at at every age and stage would learn civics. Um, I feel like a return to that kind of educational model is necessary. I'm not sure it's going to happen in our public schools, but it should absolutely be happening through our Christian and private schools. Well, make the underlying point common. If ever you have a project like democracy or the republic, which lasts longer than a single generation, you need schooling and you need history. And that's America's tragedy. Civic education and history were thrown out at the end of the 1960s. Thank God for classical schools, private schools, and so on, that are keeping it alive. But I mean the public schools. So one of the urgent things today is to restore civic education. And we need to do that. And it's certainly true of us as Christians, too. Both faith and freedom require history and schooling and transmission. If that breaks down, the game's up. And you can see the church is actually as bad as the culture. You know, the old word was catechism, but the, Mm. you know, call it what you like, but the handing on of faith or of freedom from the older generation to the younger generation is absolutely crucial. You know, as the rabbis say, what did Moses talk about the night of the Passover? They're going free. He didn't mention freedom. They're going to the promised land of milk and honey. never mentions it. He talks three times about children. In other words, the story we tell to the next generation is what's crucial to passing on the fires of faith and freedom. And America needs to recover that today. Take the 1619 Project or Howard Zinn. They're absolute mm-hmm. disaster. Yeah, I was going to, I actually wrote that right there in my notes as we were talking. I'm like, yeah, let's let's look at the 1619 Project and what what then we are teaching our children um, in in relationship to this country and one another, um, Oz, we got to leave it right there. It's it's always so good to talk with you. Um, I I love what you are um, what you are bringing to us in the conversations of the day. How you are helping us to see ourselves. How you are helping us to um, to see the the story, this redemptive narrative over all of human history, and how we are a part of it, like our place in it, um, and so. Thank you, as always, my friend. May the book launch go magnificently well. 
um, may, you know, may every person not only read the Magna Carta of humanity, but actually live into this call, this call to repentance and revival, a return to God, to America's homecoming. Um, Oz, thank you so much. Bless you, my friend. Thank you, Carmen. Always a privilege. Oh, it's a total delight. That's Oz Guinness. If you want to enter the drawing for the books we have to give away today, text the word book to 877-933-2484. It's the Magna Carta of Humanity. You can find Oz at ozguinness.com. We'll be right back. All right. um, I want to highlight one other thing quickly before we go today, and that is the death of Walter Mondale, uh, Minnesota native transformed the role of the U.S. vice presidency while serving under Jimmy Carter, was a Democratic nominee for president in 1984. You know, maybe most importantly, maybe most importantly, a Christian, a preacher's son from southern Minnesota. Uh, So let's be praying today for the Mondale family and let's be acknowledging his good and great service both to the state of Minnesota and to the people of the United States of America. All right, everybody, have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LeBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.